Welcome to the Cloud Architects Podcast, a podcast about cloud, technology, and the people using it. The Cloud Architects Podcast is sponsored by Kemp Technologies. Choose Kemp to optimize your multi-cloud application deployments and simplify multi-cloud application management. A single pane of glass for application delivery, Kemp provides a 360-degree view of your entire application environment and even third-party ADCs. Download Kemp 360 for free today at kemptechnologies.com. Today we're in Orlando at Microsoft Ignite 2018. I'm here with my co-presenters, Nick and Warren. Hi. Hi, what's happening? So today we have the privilege of interviewing two guests who are both in the Azure Active Directory B2B world and have some kind of bearing in terms of what B2B does. And so we'll ask them to introduce themselves and tell us a little bit more about what they do. We'll start with you, Elizabeth. All right, I'm Elizabeth Olson. I'm a program manager in uh, the Microsoft Identity team and I own B2B. And Rob. And I'm Rob, uh, Robert Lowe. I'm a program manager. Actually, I sit in the Office 365 team, but we work very closely with our counterparts in Identity. I like how you say counterparts because we all think it's one Microsoft and everything just works, but we know that between the product teams, often there's some, some very deep silos, and the one Microsoft initiative helps that collaboration, and it appears to be more seamless for us on the outside. I, I think our most, uh, our common direct report would be Satya. Yeah, wow. yeah, you so, have to but, go that far. So up. we have wow. to work at grassroots level. And we wow. do, and we for do. the record. Like yeah. we, we work really hard to partner closely and, and not just surprise each other like, ta-da, I have a new feature, just work with it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So we started talking about uh, um, some of the basics of Azure B2B with Elizabeth. And just to, to paint the scene, a lot of us in terms of um, the first experience that we have with B2B is we'll, we'll start with Teams or SharePoint. And we don't know that it's actually B2B doing the magic under the hood. And we also don't know that there's so much more that we can do with B2B. And, and Rob, these are some of the conversations I've had with you, which for the, the sake of the podcast have revolved around what are all the things that we can do in the productivity world with B2B that is supportable from a Microsoft point of view. And so when we look at Teams, we create an object in Azure Active Directory and then we just start using it and it just works, right? But it's actually an, an Azure Active Directory object that I can assign permissions to and I can do so much more, right? So we would like you to unpack that a little bit before us. Sounds good. Jeez, where do they even start? I don't know, I'm, my head's oh, yeah, spinning. Yeah, like, I was like, uh, so how about this? I have this? a 75-minute yeah. talk on <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> should, we, should we start at the very beginning? How about we start at a sort of 10,000-foot level? And let's, let's, let's explain what B2B is first, right? Because I think we get to this, you know, we're, we're using acronyms for everything these days, and, and, and it, maybe people don't necessarily understand what sure. B2B is, B2C, all these things. So sh should we start there and just kind of start there and maybe just drill in just a little bit? Sure. I mean, I think B2B is one of those things where it's a great name because it's super recognizable and everyone can just say it really easily. But it's also kind of a misleading name because a lot of people uh, hear B2B and they think, oh, business selling to business. Yeah. When really the feature isn't so much about commerce and it's much sure. more about collaboration and getting people who don't exist in your directory to have a seamless experience coming in and still being able to be authenticated, be authorized, and, and work with you on resources that you control. 
Um, so it's a really powerful feature for enabling that collaboration without all the overhead of maintaining new accounts for people and multiple passwords on the other side and all kinds of stuff like that. Do you guys set the tone for things? So for instance, does the SharePoint team sort of come to you and say, listen, so we want to implement this feature, but we need this to happen. Or is it the other way around where you say, guys, this is what we have, this is where it's going to go, and you get to use it? Well, back to the one Microsoft uh, theme. Uh, we're, we're trying our best in the Office 365 suite of applications to work together on a coherent B2B story. And uh, I will say that certainly it's our vision that you will, you will see more admin coherence over time. For example, uh, I think the origins of the current B2B model maybe started in SharePoint, where SharePoint had external sharing first, right? For sure. And uh, then what we have now in Azure AD is a more foundational piece of tech that we can use across more applications. And uh, that being said, though, the knobs that you can turn to affect how it works across the variety of applications, it might appear that they were developed independently. Yeah. And, yeah. and so there is, that is recognized. And that's something that you should see improve over time. Uh, we really see. Azure B2B as the foundation for enabling uh, both resource access and hopefully down the road some other uh, scenarios like being able to find people in the global address list or the directory across tenants as well. But we know that works today. We know it works today. And, and we are using it in customer scenarios. So I've just finished a, a project where we've got three tenants and we're gluing them all together. So we are using MIM as a synchronization mechanism. However, we are using um, PowerShell in terms of Active Directory PowerShell and Exchange Online PowerShell to provision and clothe the objects. Right. Because to Warren's frustration when he got created, in the Microsoft tenant, he's just known as Warren, which is basically so the... It's like an OCD guy's worst nightmare. Yes. And that's because he, you received an invite, which was a B2B invite, but then the rest of your attributes weren't clothed on the object. Yeah, so that somebody just sent it to my name. Yes. And, and so now, yeah. uh, from a user point of view, you have this frustration that you can't self-service your own object and you want to be able to fix your first name, last name, display name, that type of thing. So what we've done in from a, a customer point of view, is we've used B2B as that glue for a customer who can't go multi-geo, so a single tenant that's spread across the world. And we ha have most of the experience that that customer would have in a native AAD scenario. But there are some frustrations and some limitations. Yeah, and I'd say this is also recognized uh, to make the Azure B2B created objects uh, more useful in a directory people lookup scenario you'd probably want to see the attributes that are in the contact card that you would see That's right. for, for users in your own tenant, right? So we recognize that, and this is one of the things Elizabeth and I are, are partnering on down the road. Today we have something that works, but customers have to go in in the tenant where the external objects are created, and how would you know what Warren's name is if, in that tenant if you didn't know who he is, right? Yes. So yeah. we need to think about ways that the at, perhaps the admin on uh, the, the tenant where Warren's account, assuming it's Office 365 yes. and AD. Oh, that's what you were talking about earlier. Yeah. yeah. Uh, pulling the information in from the Pulling it in, that yeah. could be one way, yeah. and then self-service could be another way that we had. I don't mm. know if you want right. to add anything. Well, um, one thing I, I will add is that um, while, while we do own Active Directory, or Azure Active Directory, and, and certainly that's the thing we think everyone should have, we recognize that a lot of guests don't for whatever reason, some good, some that I don't agree with. 
Um, <laughs> and and so we don't expect. In general, we're we're trying to make the guest experiences great for anybody on any account, not just the ones with Azure Active Directory. So. It, when we do get to the feature of being able to hydrate the attributes from the source account, um, clearly we can do that with Azure Active Directory, but we can also probably do that with a lot of other accounts like social IDPs and whatnot. We can ask for permissions to get profile information and then use that I to sync it over. I suppose there's also a licensing factor that comes in here. Yes. Like who decides what P1, P2 is and what features they have. I mean, okay, so I'm going to ask you a question. If it were mm -hmm. up to you, mm -hmm. would you give the entire a-D-O-A for free. This is why they don't put me in the business department or marketing, because I, if I answer that question, I get in trouble. I can, I can just give you an observation, though. I, it seems like most uh, program managers and engineering teams want to see their stuff get used, yeah. yes. and therefore yeah, you see definitely. an inclination to hey, use my stuff. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it only took us two years to build. Like, it's totally <laughs> like, useful for everybody. Just give it away. Help the people. Yeah. yeah. Help the people. Yeah, we, uh, we have some influence on SKU development uh, because things like COGS sometimes play a factor, but generally SKU development is done by our business planning teams. Yeah. Which That's is good because yeah. they have, like, all kinds of training right, and, right. and education in that space that I have never had. Well, the fact that there's a free SKU of teams now, okay, means that, B2B is technically being given away. Well, and Azure Active Directory is yeah, free, too. Free. There's a free SKU yeah. of the, uh, that as well. So yes. there's a lot of organizations that, that use that use it, yeah. and still have guest users that they're collaborating with. For sure, for sure. I think that being said, uh, we've, we've noticed a number of usage patterns that, of how uh, B2B could be used. And maybe they'll have the same licensing model, maybe they won't. This is something we have to figure out. But the first usage pattern would be something like traditional two different companies legally separate collaborating with each other. Uh, another scenario might be a conglomerate organization that is under a single umbrella company, but happens to have multiple tenants yeah. in one form or another. That's very, but they very buy their popular. licenses centrally. So that's another scenario we need to figure out. And then the, the third one would be, uh, maybe I'm starting with a single Office 365 and Azure AD tenant, but I'm growing through acquisition, and I've just acquired one or two more, and I need a way to transition into the... So setting up B2B as a day one uh, merger and acquisition story is a good way to get started. We're working on the rest of the story as well, but at least from a licensing point of view, that could be a third uh, scenario to look at. That we that's It's somewhat different from if you have uh, two completely separate businesses uh, collaborating with each other. For sure. And I think the, the, the merger acquisition scenario is something that is becoming more commonplace, right? Because I think if we, will, if we go back five years, chances are if two companies were merging, one of them was on Office 365 and one of them wasn't. But now it's becoming more common to have these two entities, both of them are in the cloud already, trying to figure out how you piece that stuff together. But I, I wanted to touch on um, sort of from a feature set perspective too, and then you know you have the free versions. And if we look at Azure AD with the P1s and P2s, I think the, the rate of change is, is a really good thing, but it's also a really bad thing because what, what tends to happen is customers don't know what features they can get with these things, right? So, and then when you look at, Look at a, a comparison sheet from two years ago, from a year ago, that compares free, basic, P1, P2, what have you, and look at it from last week. They, they're, they're pretty different. Um, and so I think customers are, are, are kind of like, they don't understand the value in some of these things. But my observation has been very much that in the past, Azure AD free was, was, was good enough for most, and that's where everyone started. I'm seeing more and more customers now put their foot in with P1 as a, as, a, as a start, right? And then start looking at some of the other things. So I think 
as people start to learn what the value is, they're starting to make those investments as well. I think that's definitely true, and we, we, we're definitely seeing more people kind of roll on to Azure AD and roll up the, the SKU ladder as they, they, it's kind of one of those things where like you get your foot in the door with just the free offering. And that gives a lot of value to people, and some people stay there, but then some people look around and go, oh, wait, what can I get on P1? Well, gee, that looks interesting. Let me try that yeah. with one user and then 10 users and then all of my users. And we kind of, um, we, we try to make sure that we have a, a, a great value with the, the free offering because we still think that that's a, a great thing for, for a lot of people to use. But there's a lot of really great stuff at the, the higher SKUs that you can pay for and, and get a lot of customization and um, better reporting and stuff like that. And conditional access. Exactly, and that one is huge. Like, I am blown away by um, how effective conditional access is, and and also the fact that like a lot of people don't realize you can apply any of the conditional access policies to your guests. Yes. And so like, if you want to have, I know, like, if you, if you want them to just like you have guests, but you only want them to be on your network when they're accessing your resources, sure. you can do that. I know. And it's like, but but Super. they're guests. Like same with with MFA. Uh, the right. MFA policies apply as well. And that leads me to, so Sacha said in his keynote, what was, I can't remember the number now exactly, but it was like, I don't know, six and a half trillion authentication requests a day. That or sounds about right. The scale, sure. How? I don't know. How do you guys build something that efficient or do you just throw tin at it on your hardware? I mean, it's a little of both. Like, we, we have okay. massive data centers. No, for but sure. But we also have an amazing set of super smart people who just, like, think about that all day. Yeah, and yeah. and somehow figure out how to make it work. I mean, because if you look, if you go back to the, the the beginning days of Active Directory, right, 2000, and you had one domain controller, and the thing went a bit wonky, you were toast. So now imagine Azure Active Directory is essentially one big forest. Okay. 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 Well, or a bunch of forests talking to each other. Okay. Okay. What happens if one of them breaks? Does it happen? I mean. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I think the, the reality is that at that level of scale, you have to assume everything's going to break at some yes, point. Yes, okay. So, or get um, struck by lightning. Right, at some there exactly. we go. Storm, right? And so we, we've got all kinds of disaster recovery scenarios, all sorts of failover scenarios, all sorts of redundancy and whatnot. And every now and then we miss something, and then we have a, an outage, and that makes us all feel really bad. And we double down on like, okay, how do we make sure that never happens again? Um, and that's one of the ways you make a really robust service is you can never figure out ahead of time yes. everything that's going to go wrong. But when something goes wrong, you better make sure it never happens again. And then over time, you'll eventually hit all the possible problems, and then you'll invent new ones. Got you. So let me ask a, a usability question. Actually, two usability questions. One's from a user perspective, and the other one's from an admin perspective. When I create a, a B2B guest, I get that weird UPN with a hash EXT. A lot of users don't know that you can actually log in with that. So I can assign that security principle a password, and then I can log in. And what gets better is then I can assign it a license, and that strange UPN can log into my tenant, have a mailbox, have a SharePoint experience. But the login experience is difficult, because we have to communicate that UPN. Do we have a, a story around that? Is that going to get better for our users? Um, so I'm going to say you probably shouldn't do that. In general, um, the idea of... But it works. I, just because it works doesn't mean you should do it. Uh, and uh, the, the reason why we're doing it is because there's no guidance that says don't do it. I'll have to talk to our documentation team about that. Uh, no, we spoke I mean, to them earlier. <laughs> but on, on, a, on a serious note, there's probably some reason why you feel like that's the right thing to do, right? Yeah, so no, absolutely. To hear that no, and, sure. and I've heard that the scenario of wanting to have local guest accounts that are still marked as guests and whatnot is a thing. You can actually create a local account 
and market as a guest, and it still has all the capabilities of any normal native account that has a password and licensing and whatnot and a better UPN. Yeah. Um, there's The reason why I tell you you shouldn't just set a password on a guest account is that there's parts of our code that will explicitly throw that on the floor and ignore it. So it, it's not supported and it won't work end to end in all the scenarios. Um, we know that's a scenario of like, well, maybe I want to have like invite a guest in and then I want to make them more native and mm -hmm. we're working on how do we provide a, a good seamless experience for that. But before we have it, I'm a little nervous about anywhere you can kind of sort of get it to work, but I can't promise it'll keep working tomorrow. For the interest of time, we'll, we'll take that one offline and, and I'll, I'll give that to you. The, the part two of the question was, so I create a, a B2B object and then I have to use multiple providers to address it. And what I mean by that is I can address the object in Azure AD and I can give it nearly every attribute. But then I want to manage proxy addresses. And then I'm an Exchange Online PowerShell world. So it's one object which I can use across many services in my tenant, but I've got multiple points of management just to make it work in inverted commas. Could we have a comment on that? Uh, you're correct. I think that same uh, scenario exists for outside of B2B where we do admittedly have multiple um, admin experiences. There is Exchange PowerShell. Some attributes are authored in Exchange and that's the yeah. way that you set them. I think, uh, and this is probably something we should follow up on after, but you, we will hopefully see more things exposed through the graph so that there is actually down the road a unified place where everything can be set the exact status of each attribute that you're talking about, I don't know off the top of my mm -hmm. head. But yeah, sure. The, the graph would be the place to look to have a unified uh, decoration of the object. Ultimately, I think what our users and our administrators want is less portals and a, a clear story of, of how do we manage what we've got. So we are getting to the top of the hour, which means that we're going to lose our podcast booth. Mm -hmm. But what we'd like to do with uh, the two of you is maybe do a part two of the show where we unpack some more of the goodness that we started to touch on. Before we go, can we ask, is there anything that you'd like to plug in terms of community resources, Twitter handles, um, email where addresses? Where do we find the latest stuff yeah. about B2B? Session codes for this week. I know, yeah. you know likely this will go up after Ignite, but then people can always look up those sessions. So anything like that that you want the community to know about, feel free to. Uh, I think for me, uh, the biggest thing is I've got a session on Friday, which unfortunately I can't remember the code off the top of my head, but it's Friday at 1045. Awesome. Um, and if you look it up by my name, um, we will, we it's will one find of my it two. and put it in the session notes. All right, awesome. Thank you. Actually, uh, I got my pass here to speak uh, about multi geo, so I don't Oof, have any sessions. That's a good one. We could do another one on that. It's on Thursday. Uh, a lot of customers that are you know, needing B2B may have data residency requirements as well. Mm -hmm. It's not exactly related, but that's that's how I got my ticket to the event. But we're having a lot of co side conversations about B2B and uh, that and space. And moving well. to multi-geo. That's that's the yes. winner. Right. So uh, to unpack that scenario, that'll be maybe part of part two. That'll like be a great Why do we do what we're doing on the way on the road to multi-geo when we start on a multi-tenant scenario? Yeah, that's and that overlaps with mergers and acquisitions, right? Tenant that's consolidation, yep, which is the whole. We've covered the gamut of the space that we need to address. Now. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, look, thank you guys very much for your time. Thank you. Uh, Thanks really, for really Thanks very much. You guys coming out, and uh, I'm sure we will we will have a follow up at some point. This definitely. Is a, an area with so much, you know, so much interesting stuff. So definitely see what we can do. It's the awesome. new thing. B2B is the new thing. Thank you so much, and we look forward to part two. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thank you.
Welcome to the Cloud Architects podcast. This is part two of Azure Active Directory B2B. We are still with Elizabeth Olson and Rob Lowe. Rob, I always think of you as a movie star. I've never heard that one before. <laughs> <laughs> and in part one, things were getting super interesting in terms of particular scenarios. And we were talking about instrumentation and, and so on and so forth. So while we have our areas of what we are super interested in, can we ask you, what is it that you want to talk about? You, Elizabeth, from a pure AD point of view and you, Rob, from a productivity and usage point of view. Um, I think from, from the Azure AD point of view, I think there's two main things that we really want to land in our messaging um, around the B2B space. And the first one is that um, we're not um, religious about Microsoft accounts. We really do want to support all accounts from any um, provider on the planet. Uh, we don't want you to have to create a new account in order to come in as a guest. We want to give everyone a great experience no matter where they come from. And when do you say that? Does mm -hmm. that mean you want me to be able to bring my Gmail account or does it mean there's other directories like we're talking open LDAP kind of thing? Uh, everything. So we recently uh, announced the Google Federation um, ability in Azure AD for uh, B2B users. They can, uh, if the IT admin sets up Google Federation, they can use their Google credentials natively against AAD as a guest. And that works really well. We, we've, we've used that and we're very chuffed with that. All right. Awesome. Glad to hear it. And then, um, but that's just kind of the first step for us. We're, we're also um, working on some new features that are in private preview right now. So we haven't announced them yet, but I'm going to talk about them at my session on Friday. Um, one of which is direct federation. So any, um, any IDP that supports WSFED or SAML. IDP? Uh, uh, identity provider uh, or identity platform. Um, so anyone that supports uh, WSFED or SAML, which is just about all of them, yeah. um, can be directly federated in in the same way that um, Google accounts can. So you can set up a, a close partnership with someone who's maybe on ADFS or some other identity provider and have their users also seamlessly use their existing credentials. And then kind of the catch-all bucket for people who don't have one of those accounts that we support natively or can federate with, um, we're introducing this concept of one-time passcodes so that you can still prove that you have the email that was invited and that's your method of authentication and you can come in and have all the rights and, and abilities that any other guest user would have regardless of where that account is located or stored. Does that mean that I can still apply CASB on top of those? Anything you can do with a guest, you can do with them. Sorry, I'm, I'm talking CASB and I shouldn't be talking CASB. Okay. I meant conditional access. Absolutely. MFA, uh, network requirements, absolutely, any of that stuff. Um, anything that you can do with conditional access, you can apply to, to one-time passcode guests as well. So it, it's going to be a really powerful way to, to open up collaboration with just about anyone. Um, and then to go back to your question, the other thing that I want to make sure that I land at the conference is this idea um, that B2B is not just about supporting first-party apps at Microsoft and collaboration in things like SharePoint or Teams or whatnot, but also in third-party apps. So if you have a line of business app or a custom app that you use to get uh, business done at your company, you can invite guest users to that app as well and they can um, collaborate in it. And for a lot of apps, there's actually no change you need to make in the app itself. It just talks to Active Directory, authenticates the user, and it just works. If there's certain um, uh, claims you want in the token, guests may or may not have those, so you might have to adjust a little bit based on what claim you're looking for. But um, I just wrote an app the other uh, a couple weeks ago to work in my demo, and I didn't actually have to change a line of code to make it work with B2B wow. users as well. 
that's 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 really powerful. That's um, and I think that's going to add a lot of value to a lot of the companies with these B two B scenarios, right? Important messaging though, because I I had no idea. So at least now we can get that out there. Yay, one convert. Yeah. Robert, for me, uh, as I mentioned in, in part one, I was mainly focused on the multi geo feature uh, through the last year and, and and more, and now I'm switching my attention, primary attention to to this space, and so. For me, it's more about sharing some of the thinking that I have currently in this space. And uh, th the thinking should guide our product development over the coming years. And the first thing is that when I think about B2B, I think about more than Azure AD and more than just external users in the directory. Actually, when customers want to collaborate, they want to do other things too, like view somebody's free busy, mm. look them up in the global address list, as we mentioned probably uh, instantiate instant messaging conversations, voice calls, see their presence, all this kind of stuff that we've been able to do in the product for a while, uh, but it was developed independently. And so when I think about it, if we had a chance to develop it from scratch, you would probably have a simpler admin experience. Yeah. Let's just talk about two tenants for now. Elizabeth covered the you know third-party integrations. But if you were going to set up a relationship between two tenants, and we are designing it from scratch now, you'd probably want a single place to do it all. Yeah. So that's number one. When I think about B2B, and let's just say collaboration features, I think about more than just, I shouldn't say just, I think about Thanks. more than the Azure a AD pieces. Uh, we want to eventually see all of these things come together and work in a coherent way. Well, I think by default, even if we take away the mergers and acquisitions scenario, we're looking at many to many relationships with tenants because I'll work with Chris's company, I'll work with your company, we'll have independent relationships of each other, we'll choose what we want to share with each other. So we very rarely see only two tenants working together. Often we see many tenants working together. And then of course we want to have uh, ideally a single experience across all of that. Yeah, that, that touches on a concept which sometimes we call a network of tenants, but that's just thinking right now. There's, yeah. there's nothing that is even close to existing. But uh, what you will see first, most likely, would be the ability to set up relationships between two tenants. Yeah. And then over time, if we were successful at the first thing, then it would be wonderful to have a network of tenants that you could inherit a common set of settings. Mm. But even just between two tenants, to be able to set up the equivalent of like a federated relationship with capabilities that let you do a lot more collaboration features, that would be uh, a lot further than we are today. So yeah. that was the first thing. The second thing I wanted to share uh, from a thinking perspective is uh, we view a lot of this B2B <coughs> uh, scenarios very similar to day one in a merger scenario. So w the f when, a, when a deal is announced or the money changes hands, we call that day one, the money changes hands, and you're, you're now an employee. If, you're, if your company's been acquired, you're now an employee of the new company. Uh, and, and things need to work. You need to be able to get the email from the, the new CEO, send, it, send out the welcome email to all employees, for example. Uh, and you need to be able to access the corporate intranet and all, this, all these things that employees need to do. And, uh, but behind the scenes, even if the IT uh, organization desires to consolidate the tenants for efficiency reasons or any other reasons, we recognize it's not going to happen overnight. Mm -hmm. And therefore, the B2B pieces make a good day one story to help bootstrap that process. Now, some companies we talk to say, yes, we want to consolidate our, our tenants 
give us the, the tech to migrate data. Yeah. We're aware of that. And other companies say, you know what, we will operate independently, but we still want the collaboration features. So earlier we touched on something where, Elizabeth, you, you smacked our metaphorical hands a little bit. Just because it works, mm -hmm. we shouldn't do it. So mm -hmm. just to repeat the point, I can take a, a B2B user, so I've invited Chris to my tenant, mm -hmm. so Chris now exists as a B2B object, and then I can change the password on his user, I can assign a license, mm -hmm. and he can effectively work natively as if, well, he is logging onto my tenant. Mm -hmm. So the usage scenario there is very much when we're in an, an M&A scenario and Chris's users and his information is coming over into my tenant mm -hmm. and very often what we'll want to do and what we actually seen customers do is mm -hmm. they start off with synchronizing all the users over using B2B, however they do that, if it's PowerShell or any other mechanism. Mm -hmm. And then they, they address the users with the attributes that are missing, so address mm -hmm. the user objects. Then they assign the licenses, then they start migrating data, and then they change the user type, which many of our listeners don't know you can do, is just change the user type from type guest to type member. So a mm -hmm. full fat Active Directory user or yep. AAD user. And currently that's the migration scenario or a migration scenario. Mm -hmm. And customers are doing it because it's possible. Yeah, so definitely the migration story is, is a big one and, and one we're trying to, to um, address holistically. And there's parts of that, that that we do support today and parts of that flow that we don't. So, for example, the conversion from guest to member is absolutely supported. That, um, like you said, is available through PowerShell. It's on the API. Um, but the, the part that we don't support is the, the setting the password part because that kind of um, goes against the whole point of B2B in the first place. Even though you can. Even though you can, uh, like I said, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Um, but that, it, uh, and I say that knowing that it's super painful, um, and and knowing that B two B is kind of the way you establish a day one relationship, and then you eventually want to consolidate. And and when you consolidate, you don't want to delete these guest users who have permissions of their own, who have their own um, stuff in the directory that that they're kind of tendrilled into, and then create a new user that has none of that. Uh, I understand that's super painful, and that's definitely something that we're looking to address and find a, a really good supported solution for. Um, but it just makes me nervous whenever someone bases a solution on something that's unsupported because I can pretty much guarantee we'll accidentally break it at some point. And it's not because we want to break it, it's just because we aren't, we're assuming you're not doing that, and then we'll make some assumption later that will break the assumption you're making, and, and then there's going to be an angry support call and probably tears and frustration on both sides. See, we're, but we we're know customers are doing this, and uh, I did this myself last week, actually. We ran through some proof-of-concept testing, so we know that there's a real customer need there, but to Elizabeth, Elizabeth's point, we need to make sure that what the guidance we are giving to customers is the right guidance mm. and not just a happy accident that it works. So we're, we're old exchange guys uh, and we know very well that there is a very fine line between yeah. what works and what is supported, right? And, 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 and I find myself having to remind not only myself, my team and, and, and customers this all the time. So I think for next year I want to get a t-shirt that says just because you can doesn't mean you should, right? Because I think that'll be... That's <laughs> can I have one too? <laughs> It'd be a very powerful statement. So... What should customers do today? And uh, I think this is a, a question to both of you. Let's assume we've got a customer who either today is sitting with guidance that would have received earlier from Microsoft. What do I do? And you spin up multiple tenants because of geo-residency. And I want to make the decision, should I go B2B? Should I go multi-geo? And maybe we can explain 
for our listeners who don't know what multi-geo is, we, we're just assuming that everybody knows. Can we unpack that a little bit? And what what does that mean from an identity point of view? And of course, what does it mean from a, how do I get my stuff over, Rob? My files, my mail, and what should that whole experience be? So multi-geo capabilities in Office 365 allows uh, customers to have a single Office 365 tenant, and yet, and yet uh, place users' OneDrives and mailboxes in any of our available worldwide geolocations. So we have a number of them, United States, Europe, United Kingdom, Japan, Australia. There's a few more too, I, I won't go through all of them. But we, this is all online and we can probably share a link in the podcast notes. Yeah. Um, but ultimately what you're getting to the heart of is if I have the choice, should I have one tenant in my organization or more than one? And the first thing we would say is that from a collaboration point of view and unified admin experience, having a single tenant is always going to give you the richest experience. It's not our goal to someday achieve parity in the functionality between two tenants and, and one, for example. Now, secondly, uh, there are some reasons why you might choose to have multiple tenants. Uh, and one of them is, you know, isolation of admin functions. And in that case, if, you know, the, the things we're working on first are collaboration features. Right now, we don't have a, you know, a strong roadmap where we will say, let's unify the admin across multiple tenants. Although we've heard that from some customers, we know that there, there's some, some need there. Now, to the point about multi-geo, it really, multi-geo is somewhat orthogonal. The question is, I have more than one tenant and I want to migrate into one. From a multi-geo perspective, all that adds is you just set an attribute on the user where to put their mailbox in OneDrive, and the tech just works. So to the tenant consolidation question, uh, what I would say is that we recognize this is challenging for customers today. It's why we're working on it. We don't have native product capabilities across the suite and across the directory to do this. And the approach that we often recommend is work with consultants to know this space to help you through the, the, the migration process. And uh, what we are doing is we're also working with our own ins internal consulting teams as, as the product group here and making sure our technology can slot, when we add a feature enhancement, making sure it can slot into a process that is proven and can work. So for example, when we bring the capability to move exchange mailboxes, then that should fulfill the line item where the consultants are moving exchange mailboxes. We have a long way to go, I'll, I'll admit that. But uh, I, I hope that answered your question ab about you know, how do I yeah. consolidate. We, we don't have native pro product capabilities yet, yes. but we're, we're working to make the story better. See, I think the big, the big thing in my experience here is that there's a misperception about multi-geo in that a lot of customers believe that that's going to solve all their problems in Office 365, right? Mm -hmm. Especially when you talk about very large multinational customers. And, and and to me, it comes back down to the requirements here. Is, I, is there a very specific data sovereignty requirement that you're trying to fulfill? Because then multi-geo is, is in fact the correct solution. But if you really just want to make, if you have a performance issue or you want to make sure that uh, you know the data is closer to the user because you think it's going to help performance or you can, it's going to help connectivity, perhaps multi-geo isn't what you need. Mm -hmm. um, so I think I think it comes down to understanding exactly the scenarios where you would use multi-geo and perhaps the scenarios where a B2B relationship or, or, or setup is, is better for you. Yeah, let me just comment on that real quick and then I'll let Elizabeth talk about B2B. It, that's a hot topic, you know, is, will multi-geo solve my performance problems? 
we never recommend it as the first step. And you'll see in the presentations, we s we'll say this is not a performance solution. Although we'll never argue that you know the speed of light, sometimes if the data is close to the closer to the user and all other things are optimized, then maybe in some sub-scenarios would be better. But they're really, customers right now probably get the most gains typically by improving their network egress so that they're egressing close to the user, connecting to a service endpoint as close as possible. So that usually means uh, modifying your corporate network egress strategy, making sure the DNS is also decentralized so that when the, you know, the users looks like they're actually coming from where they're really coming from. And that's where we see customers getting a lot of performance gains. Those, those things called proxy servers yeah. that we often find. <laughs> right. right, yeah. If everybody's <laughs> centrally egressing, yeah. look and have centralized DNS, that is not a good strategy for cloud connectivity. Yeah. And there's a lot of sessions here at Ignite on mm -hmm. that, and I'd recommend them. I think the one thing that I would add is that um, you said a a really good word is like the scenario that the the user or the organization is trying to fulfill and i think it's really important to to always center your plans around what's your end goal state and what's your scenario and then figure out what tech will get you there rather than looking at the tech and then trying to cobble together a strategy without really having an end goal in mind and and it's it's more tempting than i'd like for for people yeah. to look at what exists and go oh well i guess i can get like from point a to point something with this, mm. um, but if you don't have a clear point B that you want, mm. then you, it's going to be an unsatisfying solution regardless of what you, you put together. Mm. Mm. Uh, yeah, so I, I definitely see that temptation very often, and, and just because uh, you can change a setting and, and you know the setting exists again doesn't mean that you should do that, um, and it, it, do you really require it, things like that. So I think that's, uh, that's, that's a very good uh, word of warning there. I'm going to throw in that we are doing things because we can, mm -hmm. And there's no documentation that says we can't. And yesterday we had a session with uh, two wonderful folks from the documentation team who are in charge of, of architecture. And we had a lot of discussions around how do we build patterns and practice and documentation. And I think what's, what's missing here is that we don't know what the best practices are. And you're dealing with an ever-evolving product in cloud. But we need a stake in the ground that says, this is our best practice today, or the acceptable usage scenarios today, and don't do that, whatever that is, right? Mm -hmm. So don't change that password just because you can. And I'm going to put my hand up and say, as a consultant or a customer, I'm going to do whatever you allow me to do via an interface, mm -hmm. because it implies permission, right? Kay. So if it's in a portal, I'm going to say it's sanctioned. I can change a B2B password via PowerShell or via portal. In my mind, I have permission. That's fair feedback. That's good feedback. Um, I'm not going to say I necessarily agree, but I totally understand <laughs> where you're coming from. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm sure that there's plenty of people who agree as well. Um, we generally, I think, take the stance of if we haven't explicitly said it is supported, then it's a little suspect. But I, I know that not everyone agrees with that stance. Uh, no, completely right. And, and so Rob and I have had interactions in the past around, I want to use a B2B object as a full fat contact in the gal. And what is our supportability story around that? And so Rob explicitly called out that this is a supported scenario. Mm -hmm. Even though from a team's point of view, we've had the guidance that I uh, credit team. So therefore I have a B2B object and it's documented fairly well that I can just PowerShell it to on in the gal and it's there. 
but that's a team's object, not necessarily a user object in the type of collaboration scenario that we've spoken about. So we needed to, to clarify, which Rob did, that if Chris is a B2B user and my tenant, I can explicitly switch him on to for Gal visibility and of course give him the rest of the exchange attributes that I'd want to do, including in a migration scenario, the legacy DN, so mail replyability wouldn't break mm -hmm. for a contact that originally would have been staged on premises and then replicated up. Yeah, and one thing I will point out is that our all of our docs are on the docs.microsoft.com platform, which involve, and every page at the bottom has a, a GitHub issues submission pipeline. So if you see issues where we're either not explaining clearly or we're just not addressing a question you have, um, please do open an issue to, to ask us to clarify so that we can get that fixed and get the documentation better. That's yeah. great. And I was really hap happy to, uh, to work on that scenario with you. It's something that we heard again and again, and it was very clear that the absence of any documentation on it was just causing confusion and we needed to do something. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it's just a good testament to the creativity of customers and our partners like you. Uh, you know, we get a lot, this is why we have conferences like this, right? Yeah. We get a lot of good ideas for what our customers need by our, via our partners and customers directly. So yes. mm -hmm. keep up the creativity with the caveats that, that Elizabeth was saying and, and you know, mm -hmm. There's obviously a need there, and we have to work to understand the need. Mm -hmm. So I'll just say on, on behalf of ourselves and our customers, we tend to feed off Ignite for years to come. And we'll find that, for example, Elizabeth may say something on Friday session that's not documented publicly. Mm -hmm. However, it is sanctioned. right? So you're going to say something. And so what we'll do and what our customers will do is they said, well, Elizabeth's session for with breakout code so-and-so said that. So therefore... No pressure. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And it's become co quite common. I get I get customers emailing me session codes all the time. Like, I heard this at Ignite last year. Yeah. There. How do we make that work? Or what do we do with that? Or, That's right. Or, you know, make it happen. <laughs> so so it's, mm -hmm. it's, 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 it's fair. But it, it's glad to, we're glad to hear as well that uh, you guys are talking about the same feedback loop in the documentation that, uh, you know, Brenda and the documentation team that we spoke to yesterday mentioned. So that that's great because I think um, you guys are, a lot more open to taking these types of feedback now because it yeah. helps bring things, um, you know, update that type of documentation or bring in documentation that maybe have not existed or has not existed in the past. Um, you know, I think the, the, the speed of, of iteration of new features and new functionality requires something like that, right? We can't just sit back and rely on, uh, on it to just magically happen. If someone finds a scenario or has some sort of question that the, um, that they need answered, to be able to reach out to mm -hmm. someone and, and have that done is is very powerful. Yep. Well, and I think this is part of like the new Microsoft that we're evolving is that this mm -hmm. idea that we want to be closer to customers and have a tighter feedback loop and, and mm -hmm. be able to have avenues for even people who don't have consultants or a direct line into Microsoft yep. to still be able to actually kind of have a direct line into Microsoft. So mm -hmm. I think that's a really powerful way to for us to hear more voices and, and build features that work for more people. Yeah, and uh, Joe and Brenda were quite explicit, so I think it's worth repeating that you guys actually read the comments. Everyone, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and there's no point in saying this article sucks or it's rubbish. I mean, it hurts my feelings, yeah. but it's still yeah. data. It's but not constructive, though, right? But yeah. Joe was saying, uh, please say, in this particular scenario, that thing doesn't work because of this, and could we have more feedback? And so I'm, I'm seeing you nod on that, Rob. Yeah, we appreciate feedback that is actionable, and just saying something sucks, maybe we know what, it's, what sucks, maybe we don't. So yeah. assume we don't know it sucks, and, and tell us why. Or if it's good, tell us why it's good. 
Yeah, we love hearing comments of like, we like this article because blah. Yes. Like those are great. Yeah. Uh, actually, we don't see that a lot in documentation. Mm. Yeah. And, and I think it's um, often I've, I've come across an article and it's added significant value. So, mm. for example, I'm going to call out the, the B2B usage scenarios in Office 365. And there's a lot of stuff on there, which is great. It's very SharePoint heavy at the moment, and we need more exchange focus on that. But from an, 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 uh, a OneDrive and SharePoint point of view, for example, the fact that we've got an object picker that we can light up, that's all very well documented. And so I'm very happy with that as a documentation piece. Thank you. I didn't well, write that one. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, guys, thank you again for your time. I think this is, uh, you know, it has been very valuable for us to be able to extend our uh, initial talk. Um, so we're going to let you guys go. I know everyone's got something else to do. At the <laughs> um, we've all got multiple things booked at the same time as well. So we'll let you go and really appreciate you guys sitting down with us and, and taking the time to talk. Anything else that you guys want to plug? So we talked about this in part one. Is there anything that came in mind for part two? Anything that you guys want to call out publicly or share URLs, Twitter handles, LinkedIn profiles, anything where you want to be found or maybe your team wants to be found? Um, I am on Twitter at um, Elisol, E-L-I-S-O-L. -L. So feel free to reach out to me on Twitter. And, and um, if I'm not the right person to, to answer your question, I'll try to get you hooked up with someone who is. That's great. Thank you. I'm not on Twitter. <laughs> I never have been. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me under Robert Lowe. I d if you search for Rob Lowe, you might find other people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I work for Microsoft, so you should be able to find me. And uh, you don't sing or act. <laughs> uh, not, I don't tell people that anymore. Not in public. I wouldn't yeah. tell you if I did. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much for your time. All right. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Before you go, we just wanted to say thank you for listening. We really enjoy putting this podcast together for you every two weeks. Please visit us at thearchitects.cloud or alternatively drop us a tweet. We'd love to hear what you have to say. At the Cloud Arc. <laughs>